Yeah, good evening, everybody. It's good to see you guys. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon called, What Chair Are You Sitting In? And we talked about three different types of chairs, and the chairs were, does anybody remember? The chair of? Conflict. conflict the chair of conflict, that's right. The chair of? Compromise. And commitment, that's right. So three different chairs, the chair of compromise, the chair of conflict, and the chair of commitment. And we challenged you guys to end up in the chair of commitment, which was this chair right here that represents the chair of commitment. And at the end of the message, we asked you guys, if you're willing to sit in this chair, if you really say, I want to be on fire for Jesus for the rest of my life, I want you guys to sign it. And many of you guys, most of you guys signed this chair. Now, my question that I have for you now a couple of weeks later is this. Are you still sitting in this chair? And have you over the last couple of weeks been faithfully sitting in it? Or have you been sliding back in the chair of conflict and the chair of compromise? So by a show of hands, honestly, how many of you guys are still sitting in this chair right now? I want, I want to see hands. I see these kind of hands. Okay. So maybe, maybe that night as I was preaching, maybe you felt like, hey, everybody else is doing it, everybody else is raising their hand, everybody else is coming in and signing in, I will do the same thing. And maybe you really didn't mean it, and the moment you walked out of here, it was just all gone. Or maybe you signed it, and you really meant it, but you didn't have the tools to really follow through and to really keep sitting on the chair of commitment. I have good news for you, because that is exactly what these next four weeks are going to be all about. As we're teaching on pillars of the faith or pillars of our faith, we're going to be talking about four different pillars that we believe are extremely important for you to have in your life as a foundation in order for you to sit on this chair right here. As you can tell, there is four legs to this stool, and I think some of the sturdiest stools are usually the ones that have at least four legs, and it's the same with your walk with God. You need all four of these legs right there to have this stool support. In your walk with God, you need all four of these pillars that we're going to be talking about the next couple of weeks. If you choose to only have one or two, guess what? Your walk's not going to work. So you need to make sure that you really listen to these four that we're going to be presenting to you, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be life-changing. Now, where do we start? We start at the most obvious place. It's almost too obvious, but we have to start with pillar number one, and that is the pillar of Jesus, because he's the foundation of everything. He's got to be our number one. It has to be about Jesus. So pillar number one is Jesus. But the question then is this, who is Jesus? And even more specifically, I want you guys to think about this. Who is Jesus to you? And don't give me the church answer that, you know, we all know. Who literally is Jesus to you? See, Jesus is a lot of things to a lot of people. Is he really your master? Is he really your Lord? Is he really the creator of the universe, or is he just a fake? Is he a liar? What is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So who do you say that Jesus is? It's the question that I want us to think about and really process through. See, the Muslims say he's a prophet, just like Abraham was a prophet. Some people say that he's a good moral teacher that has good principles and good morals. Christianity obviously claims that he is God, he's the Lord, he's the creator of the universe. But who is he really? And what does this man by the name of Jesus actually claim to be? I figured the best way for us to really answer this question is by going to Jesus himself and seeing what he number one claims, and then we can talk about who he really is afterwards. So I'll give you three claims that Jesus made in the scriptures that are pretty, pretty big and bold claims. And I'll let you judge how big and bold these claims are. I want to give you claim number one. You can find this in John chapter 8. Verse 57 through 59, if you have a Bible, let's grab them. 
or you hand out. We're going to read this here. It says this. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham. This is, again, the Jews talking to Jesus. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. So he is saying Abraham, who was born 4,000 years before him or 3,000-something years before him, he said, before he was, I was already. In other words, he's saying that, and even beyond and above that, I was there even before time was created. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself and slipping away from the temple grounds. So what's the claim number one that Jesus does? He claims pre-existence. He claims that he was always there, has always been there, and he was there before he even came and was incarnated in the body of Jesus. That's crazy right there. That's a big claim, isn't it? Are you guys following me? He claims to have always been there. That's claim number one. Pretty big one. Let's see what else he claims. Then Jesus in John 12, 44 to 46, then Jesus cried out, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but who, also the one who sent me. And he's talking about his father here. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me, his father. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And it goes on in John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what's claim number two? It's also a very bold claim. It is that he is the Savior of the world. Not just a Savior, not just one between many, but the only one. If you want to go to heaven, he is saying, I am the only way. There is no other way. You can try any other religion. It's not going to work. I, Jesus, am the only one that can get you into heaven. How many of you guys would say that's a big, pretty big claim? Right? That's a big claim. So he preexisted. He says he's the Savior of the world. And his last claim is this. I and the Father are one. In John 10, verse 30 and 33, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you are a mere man, you claim to be God. So what's claim number three? He claims Godhood, or he claims to be God. In Mark 14, verse 61 and through 63, but Jesus remained silent, and he gave no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And he says this, I am, said Jesus. Now, this is interesting because what Jesus is doing here, he is using the exact same phrase that is used in the Old Testament where Yahweh introduces himself to Moses where he says, I am that I am. And Jesus is using the same phrasing. He is putting himself on the same level and saying, I am that I am. I am God incarnated. And it says this, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. There is no doubt about that Jesus claimed that he was truly God. He claimed preexistence, he claimed to be the Savior of the world, and he claims that he is God. So is he God? And who is he to you? C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, in one of his interviews at BBC, he was trying to prove the divinity of Christ. And as he was talking and used the following phrase, he was not the one that coined this phrase, but he used it and kind of made it famous. But he said this, either Jesus was mad, talking about who Jesus is and all his claims, either Jesus is mad, he's bad, or he's God. In other words, he could also say it this way, and this is what he did. He said, either Jesus was a lunatic, he's a liar, or he truly is Lord. And this is known as the Lewis Trilemma. What I want to do here tonight is I want to look at these three things, and I want us to look at who is Jesus, and who is he to you. 
And even if you claim number three, I want to ask you a question at the end that I think is going to hurt because we need to look at that question together. But we will not get ahead of ourselves. We'll get there in just a moment. So let's talk about number one. Is Jesus, and it sounds almost weird to say this, is Jesus a lunatic? The argument would be this. Jesus was not God, but he believed that he was. Have you ever met someone that was delusional, that believed to be something that you knew he was not? And then you were talking to him, and the more you talk, you're like, yeah, that guy is crazy, right? Or the girl. Like, when someone is crazy, everybody else around you knows they're crazy, right? It's kind of like this guy in the video right here. Those who crazy as a look, I told you, I'm my work. Where's the Italian? Don't mind. What you do with all your money? You see, I'm a guy in the place. I enjoy dynamite, gunpowder, and gasoline. What the? And you know the thing that they have in common? They're cheap. Save your amount of good blood. Oh, yeah. I'm only running my hands. Okay, somebody say he's crazy, right? The joker, everybody knows the joker, he's crazy, right? Who in their right mind would burn a ton of money? Anybody? Come on, don't, don't be lying. There's no way you guys would burn that pile of money. No way. You would use it for all kinds of stuff, but you would not burn it unless you were maybe freezing and that was the last thing in the room to burn. Maybe then you would, but nobody would. And everybody knows the joker is completely crazy. See, when someone is a lunatic, people know. Was Jesus a lunatic? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Questions: Would a lunatic attract a crowd of thousands and thousands and thousands? Would he? Maybe. I mean, a lunatic could totally, you know, create a crowd because everybody would want to watch and see what crazy stuff he's going to do next. Would a lunatic be able to heal people? Probably not. Jesus did. Now, that doesn't prove that Jesus is divine. We don't prove Jesus' divinity by his miracles because he gave us the power and the authority to heal people, so... That would be a problem if we proved him that way. Let me ask you another question. Would a lunatic be able to fulfill 400 prophecies of the Old Testament? No way. As a matter of fact, mathematically speaking, that is an impossibility. That one person in their lifetime can cover 400 different prophecies and fulfill every single one of them. Yeah, Jesus did. Now, I don't have time to give you all 400 of them. You can go and study them on your own. But he fulfilled more than 400 prophecies. Would a lunatic be able to raise himself from the dead? The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, right? I don't think Jesus was a lunatic. I think there's no way that you can argue that he was crazy because honestly, that would have been recorded in history. And if you look at Josephus, who's one of the historians, you can clearly think, see that he, number one, claimed Jesus was a person and that he was real and that he actually, being Jewish, even said that he definitely did miracle works. But he didn't say he was crazy because that wasn't the case. So that one is totally out. You can't really claim that, and that's kind of, you know, an easy one. Number two, what about this one, though? Was Jesus maybe just a liar? The argument here would be that Jesus did not believe himself to be God, but he acted and spoke like he was. So he knew he wasn't God, but he acted and spoke and deceived everybody else around him. So was Jesus a liar? 
Because a lot of people would say that that is the truth, that he is just a liar. They don't believe him to be Lord. He is a liar. Do you guys know what happens to liars when you lie? You don't know what happens? I need to show you. Go ahead and check it out. This is what happens when you lie every single time. Obviously, this is silly, but she said a line that was really interesting. She said, a lie keeps growing and growing until it is as plain as the nose on your face. Now, think about this for a moment. When you have met a liar or someone starts lying to you, they usually have to keep lying to cover up the lie, and then they just keep going bigger and bigger. And at one point, it gets so ridiculous that everybody around them is like, dude, you are the last person who actually believes any of this because everybody else knows you are a liar. Now, when you look at Jesus and all the things that he claimed and did, wouldn't you think somebody would have recorded that in history if he was truly a liar? And think about this. If he knew that he was a liar, at the end of his life, wouldn't he have taken the chance as he was before Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate was about to crucify him, wouldn't he have said, hey, by the way, it's, it was all just a joke? I'm not God. I'm not G I'm not. I'm, it's not me. Just don't crucify me. Because that's what I would have done, right? But Jesus didn't do that. He stayed true to who he was because he is truly the Son of God. He said, no, that's who I am. It's interesting to me, the people that call him liar, at the same time, sometimes say he's a good moral teacher, which makes no sense whatsoever. You can't be a liar and a good moral teacher at the same time. That's, that doesn't really work. You're one or the other. And Lewis said this. This is interesting. I want to read this to you. It's on the PowerPoint if you want to follow along. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the, with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his help being a great human teacher. He has not left that door open to us. He did not intend to. 
Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Now I agree with that 100%, and so it leaves us to the last one, the one thing that I believe he is, and that is Lord. And the argument here would be that Jesus is truly God. Could it be that Jesus actually is truly God, that he's the Son of God, and that he is who he claims he is? Rabbi John Duncan says this. He was a Scottish preacher. Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. There is no getting out of this trilemma. He's saying, hey, he's one or the other or the other, and everybody that would actually really study this would say, hey, and I've come to this conclusion that he is Lord. See, when it comes to the pillars of our faith, the one thing that we have to all agree on before we can go any further, and if you want to sit on this chair right here, the chair of commitment, is you have to agree that Jesus is truly Lord, that he is the creator of the universe, that he made us, that he died for us on the cross, that he is Lord, and when that happens, everything changes. I came across this poem that I absolutely love, and it's about the one man and talking about Jesus. One man Kneeling alone in the night, blood and sweat mixed out flowing in fright. Kneeling, praying, prone on the grass, for my lips, Father, let this cup pass. One man standing, scorned, flocked, and beat. Harsh words still echo there in the heat. He is no king, he heard them cry. Give us Barabbas and him crucified. One man hanging, dying with thieves, of the thousands who followed for him who grieves. Friends watch at the distance, afraid to go near. Their whole worlds are shattered, their hearts filled with fear. One man, he lived and died, and a rich grave was laid, for his blood was shed that our debt be paid. But death could not hold him, resurrected he stands. To him who is weary, outstretched are his hands. In Christ there is rest, a requiem from strife. To him who believes, he will grant eternal life. See, this is Jesus. He is the one that is Lord. Do you guys know the Greek word for Lord is kurios? And it literally means somebody that owns something, that possesses something, has full and complete control over that person. See, when we call him Lord, guys, and many of us do, look at me, everybody in this place, if you call him Lord and he doesn't possess every area of your life, he's not really Lord over your life. Lord literally means he to whom a person or things belong. Do you truly belong to him? And if you do, he would have every area of your life, even those little corners that you keep hidden from everybody else. He would have 100% of you all the way. See, the word Christ in the Greek is Christos, and that word literally means the anointed one. Christ is the anointed one, and when we call ourselves Christians, we are saying, hey, he is my master, he's my Lord, and I am like my master. I am a Christian. I am anointed. If you are not anointed, and if you're not walking in holiness, we have no business calling ourselves Christians. None whatsoever. So if he's Lord, and if we're Christians, our lives should reflect that. Amen? And if they don't, then we say we call him Lord, but our lives prove otherwise. So what do you call him? Who is Jesus to you? Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would come in this place. God, as we process and ponder on this question, who Jesus, your son, is to us really, I pray that you will work in our hearts and change us. With every eye closed, I want to ask, 
and this is not so that I can say there was a hand raised or whatever, so I really, I don't want you guys to raise your hand, and this is not an uh, rededicating your life, but maybe you're in this place and you have never, ever given your life to Christ. And tonight you realize he is God. He wasn't a liar. He wasn't a lunatic. He truly is Lord. And I want him to be Lord, curious over my life tonight. And this is the first time that you're doing this. And you're saying, I want to accept Jesus in my heart. If that's you, would you put your hand up high if there's anybody here? Awesome. Thank you, guys. I saw those two hands. Thank you. I'll talk to you guys afterwards. Everybody else, I want to ask you guys this question again. Who is Jesus to you? And the answer that you're given, is it reflected in the life that you are living? And if it is not, I'm challenging you to change it. Either to change your answer and be truthful to yourself and everybody else around you, or to change your life accordingly. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that as we go into small groups, oh God, that you would speak and that you would change lives. Let it be deep, let it be honest. Let us not lie to one another, but really process together as we talk about you, Jesus. That's in your name that we pray. Amen.